Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it has broadcast continuously for over 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show is also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. Dr. Elsie's is also the founding and continuing sponsor of my New York Cat Film Festival of which I am the founder and director along with the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which premiere in New York City every October and then travel the USA and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. Go to dogfilmfestival.com and catfilmfestival.com to find out when we'll be where. I am back with Annie Phoenix. She's such a good dog trainer, but she really has done her homework. She really knows all the things that a great trainer and philosopher about dog behavior needs to know. Her book, Positive Training for Aggressive and Reactive Dogs, Proven Techniques to Help Your Dog Overcome Fear and Anxiety, pretty much affects should affect all owners because all of our dogs have moments of fear and anxiety, and we should know how that makes them react to things. And by the way, the book is already well past its second printing. So it's not just me saying it's good. People are finding it and reading it and loving it. So I really recommend it. Annie, one of the things that we touched on when we were talked about dog-on-dog attacks, the, the horrible one in New York City where the, the charming, quaint f- French children's book store owner had a pack of mostly shepherds in her basement who attacked a number of other dogs on the street and killing one of them. And what it, what it made me think about was what about pack mentality? At what point are we managing a pack of dogs and how does that affect the way they behave individually and collectively? Is two dogs a pack? Is three? And how does that change our knowledge and understanding of what to expect and how to manage those dogs? You're a trainer, you work with people, if someone has two dogs, do you think of that as a pack? 
you know, well, I myself have had as many as five dogs of my own. And then my husband and I fostered over 400 dogs. So we always had over 10 years. So we always had a lot of shelter dogs coming through my dog's community, but we had a hundred acre ranch. (laughs) We had the room and the space and that's all I was doing was fostering. Um, No kidding. Wow. Yeah. I, I think that we have been told a lie and um, not necessarily a lie, but misinformation that dogs are easy and dogs are simple. They're not. They're complex Mm -hmm. beings Mm -hmm. with their own needs that happen to have chosen, I believe they chose us, (laughs) Um, and we're a very aggressive species, but they made peace (laughs) with us 30 to 40,000 years ago to live with us uh, or alongside of us. We put them in the house. <laughs> Most dogs do not live in houses around the world. They live next That's to you. That's for sure. They live loose. They don't even have owners yeah. or and, collars. Yeah. And are they living in packs? Are they choosing to? Um, a lot of people will say, and some of this comes from a television person who is, is, is does not have a not proper education to be a not our dog favorite. trainer. You know, pack mentality, pack walks. Well, science will say they're not pack animals. Actually, they're social animals, which is yes, a difference. That's nice. Because the, Yeah, because a social um, unit could be me, you, and our husband, wife, family, whatever, and the dog, and no other dog. That's enough for many, right. many dogs. Right. Dogs don't need to be with other dogs. Some dogs, few, love to be around a lot of other dogs. My two, I worked very hard as puppies. They were taken at five weeks from their mother, five weeks of age. I worked really hard as puppies when they were, to have them around safe dogs. They love other dogs. I could have probably four or five other dogs, and my two particular dogs would like that. I had border collies that were very um, opinionated, <laughs> they can be, and serious, yes. serious working dogs. And they did not care, even though they did share their lives with many other dogs. I was the big sheep. Yes. That was the most important thing in their world. So it really depends on the dog. Um, but I do want owners to know that they do not have to have a dog for their dog. I like <laughs> One that. One is fine. That's, you yeah. know, that's a really great point. And yet some dogs do so much better with a companion. They do like to have another four-legged. In the end of the day, they really are both vying for the big sheep, which is you, which is, by the way, guys, not the alpha. There's no alpha thing going on. There's no pack leader. There's just our beloved larger-than-life human. But forget the concept of the alpha has to tell everybody what for, and that's your place, and you lie down, and I'll, I'll flip you over on your back and hold you down. Oh, good grief. That's just like the worst stuff you could ever have put in front of you as an idea. It's a bad idea. But there are dogs who really don't like other dogs. Now, I have wound up with two female Weimaraners who only like each other. Good grief. This is really limiting. So they don't like other dogs. They adore each other. They let each other do every sort of thing, like push them aside to get to the water first. Maisie leaves a little of her food behind for Wanda because Wanda stands there patiently waiting for her to eat much more slowly. They have a great relationship. Now, I don't know. Other trainers have told me that fights between female dogs are the ugliest thing in the world and be prepared and be on alert for it. Maybe not if one was two years old when you got her a little Weimaraner puppy thinking that, well, you don't like other dogs. You tolerate them, but not in your own house. She would run Mm -hmm. and play with other dogs. She even, in the rescue, it was a doggy daycare. She ran with packs of different dogs every day. Once she came to a house and there was big sheep there, the big human sheep, not interested in other dogs coming. So it's tricky, isn't it? Because those two dogs set each other off barking Mm -hmm. at anything at the door, perceived sounds outside that 
we humans can't hear. Certainly delivery people, they don't do any harm, but they bark their heads off. They come right back inside when called together as a pack. I call it a pack, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, they're not doing things independently. When one barks, the other leaps to her feet. They bark together, and they go off to investigate together. They hunt together. They dig holes together. Right. So, but that's, does that make them a pack in your view? I would say family. That's good. Um, I like that. I mean, you you can call them a pack, but because um, that's just that's a word we use and a label we use. Um, but I would consider them kind of a family unit because um, they are our family. We become their family for yeah. sure. Um, so I, I think I like that word better just because of the connotations of pack through the dog training industry. But most owners don't need to worry <laughs> worry about that. But I will say that that when you have, and this is a very often pe- reason people call behaviorists and trainers is that those of us who specialize in behavior is because of inner house fighting. And that is one of the hardest things to work on. And it's like living with an alcoholic in some ways or a drug addict, a human, because you're walking on eggshells and most owners don't read canine behavior very well, the subtle stuff. They know a growl. They know the death stare and the fur back on the neck, on the neck of the tail tuck, but they don't recognize the subtle sounds, which we say dogs are whispering that they're uncomfortable until they have to shout it. And that is scary. When dogs fight, it can sound horrible, even if no blood is shed and then the humans start screaming and they stick their hand in or they kick a dog and they get bitten that way. Um, and we do encourage bringing in a professional if inner house fighting like that because it can be tricky. It, it may not have a solution and owners don't want to hear that. And I have known owners who divide their backyard. No two, kidding. Two fence lines and gates after gates, which oh is management. And, because they can't bear to give either dog up. And then I get into ethics. Well, you're dividing your life between you can't be in the same room. Sometimes it's right. so serious. You cannot right. be in the same room with both dogs. So both, neither dog is getting all of you because you have your right. hypervigilant. And so it could be not that those dogs are dog aggressive. They just don't, don't like, like each, each other. other. And, yeah. Yeah. And they, they should be allowed to say, I don't like her. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> right. We can't, st- we don't want to stop them from doing that. It's an opinion, but it's really interesting that, and something that has come up in, in all kinds of books, including yours, that there are dogs have very best friends. They could meet another dog and just adore them immediately. It doesn't have to be the same size or breed. And they might play with that dog and gnaw lovingly on that dog and just smile from ear to ear and maybe not see the dog again for a long time, encounter that dog again, and be still madly in love and not have many other dogs they feel that way about. What do you attribute that to? Yeah, Um, that's a great question. My two healers that are three now are those dogs that every other dog loves. We have a wooden wire fence, um, and we live on a corner in a cul-de-sac, and people, just this week, a woman with a large dog caught my husband outside, my dogs ran to the fence and licked her dog through the fence, (laughs) and she said, my, we call your dogs the kissy dogs, and we make a point. My dog gets so excited coming up the hill to your house because she wow. hates other dogs, wow. but she loves your dogs. And so that's on purpose. That's <laughs> and it, cool. Because I, I worked hard to instill a love of dogs because they were taken so young. I knew I needed to do that. They were taken from their mother at five weeks of age. So we had puppy play dates with safe dogs that I approved of the same age that had not had bad experiences. I spent six months of their first six months doing that, but I could have done all that and gen- they could have genetically been programmed to say, no, I still don't like That's dogs right. as they mature. Right. Yeah. And, and become and aggressive. My, 
aggressive and yeah. reactive, like the title of your book. How do you deal yeah. with that? And if you have two of them, isn't it curious? One dog can be thunderstorm and lightning phobic, Wanda. The other dog, completely not. The older dog that you think might have given her the message, don't worry, sweetie, it's nothing. The house isn't going to fall down. <laughs> and yet, you know, the same thing. They they could find a dog they like or people they like and other people they just avoid. They're not in any way aggressive. They're just like, no, it's okay. They go in another room practically. The people they like are just, they become slobbering fools over them. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, they're very, they really have strong opinions. Yes. And we should allow that and work within it instead of saying bad dog, lay down and let the Exactly. Putting a dog in a downstay is is really, that's old school training. It doesn't give them agency. It gives them no control. It's the same thing as um, you being in a stressful situation and your your hands are tied down and you're like, I can't move. This is, it's stifling and scary. Getting away from a scary experience is, anyway, that's a whole different story. But that's a really great point is that if we don't want to limit their freedom and their decision-making, as long as they're making decisions that are good for them, we need to do the best we can to support it. So if you're going to bring another dog into your home, in your case, many, many, because now that's become, that is, was, and probably in some way is continuing your lifestyle. So let's say you have a dog and you only have one and maybe the other one died and you want a second dog. In some cases, I've wound up with three dogs because I had two, and there's always a sob story. You know, the dog that's been at the shelter for six months, that was Jazzy. The dog who's being attacked by the older dog it's living with that has cancer and has no patience, that was Teddy. I mean, they all have their stories. You've already got two dogs, and you take in a third. You obviously introduce them on neutral territory, right? That's a big Mm -hmm. point, right? First introduction. Yeah. And it may not, a lot of people think I'm going to get a puppy for my older dog. And that may be the exact wrong thing because they don't care. The the puppy energy is too great. It really depends on, I had a rule in my house. um, The dogs that are there now in the present life, they have a vote. They have a say. And the new dog has to get along or work well within the family structure. And if they don't, I would rather do the honorable thing and honor that dog all three of them, let's say I have yes. two and I bring in a yes. third, if nobody's happy, why do I have the right to keep it? If it's a new dog, I Absolutely find an right. appropriate home. There's no shame in rehoming if you are not the right home. There's shame in rehoming if you've moved and left your dog behind and oh, didn't God. even try. That would be, t- but, that, I don't think anyone listening to this show would be that person. We'd all be driving yeah. to the address. Where is that dog? We'll all yeah, take it in. We'll we'll have, we'll have yeah. it like a, a, the community will take it in, the community of dog talk. But <laughs> That, that's a really good, I've always said, last one in, first one out. So yeah. the last animal to join the family, if it doesn't work out and things were fine before, it's not that dog's fault, but it's not going to be a good fit, right? Yes. Even the best trainer in the world and the best dog owner that's had dogs 30, 40 years, your home still may not be the right environment for that particular dog for, for that dog's reasons, not for yeah. our reasons. Yeah. You could give them everything, and it still just isn't right. Maybe that dog needs to be an only dog in the house. Yeah, so I think it's honoring the communication. Um, but on the other hand, we have we can do things to help two dogs that don't like each other that haven't hurt each other. If they start hurting each other, 
um, that's a whole different situation. You know, ripping Very and tearing and biting yes. really hard. Yeah, but if they're just uncomfortable, and the sooner you get a professional in, the the fat, you know, don't wait until they're ripping each other's ears off. Ears bleed, by the way. Right, and it's too to late, happen. right? You've now built up such resentment and fear and a, a pattern that breaking that is yeah. twice as hard as intercepting it before it gets that bad. Yes. In fact, with my puppies, when I got them, they were five weeks old. They were taken way too young, and I knew that. And so I worked, my husband and I spent six months of their lives trying to correct that trauma. And there's still some fallout from that, like car phobia. Um, we, they, they They started wrestling too hard because they didn't have the mother, in my That's opinion, right. they didn't have the mother dog to say stop it or to push each yes. other or correct, if you will, not that we need to do what mother dogs do because we're not dogs. But they were really going at it too hard. And I said to my husband one day, if I cannot fix this, if we cannot fix this, I need to rehome one of them now before they hurt each other and while they're still cute puppies and while they can adapt to a new home. And luckily we worked through an excruciating amount of work, redirecting, separating, over and over and over, and those other dogs that are bought in at Safe Puppies, and now they're best friends. They've never had a squabble. They can eat bones right next to each other. But that was not that was not a hundred percent guarantee. No matter how good of a trainer I was, right? Their genetic and their early trauma it played a role in that. It just happened, to, and we worked hard at it. We worked very hard at it, and, and probably harder than your than your average bear is willing or able to work, just because it it became your almost your your occupation. I guess another thing to bring up with just a little bit of time left is adrenaline or cortisol. So when the dogs, if you have multi-dogs, right, two or three, we're going to say two or three because nobody's as nutty as you with five. Although the Wiesla breeder that I've been getting closer and closer to has 11 intact adult dogs (laughs) living at her house in harmony. Amazing. Very cool. But that's obviously a life's work in and of itself. I think that the important thing is to interrupt things if they get too rough, just like you would two six-year-old boys who start to wrestle and fight over a puzzle, but now suddenly one of them is biting, kicking. You just separate them. No big deal. Mm-hmm. No big drama. It, dogs can get overwrought when playing. And it, and what sounds fun begins to look and sound too rough. Do you agree yes. that at that point yes. you interrupt it, but not in a punishing way, just you, like you said, oh. redirect Come on, guys, let's go over here, throw some treats, throw a stick, throw a ball, go for a walk. And immediately they chill once once you interrupt that behavior, right? Yeah, exactly, redirect. And that's exactly what was happening to mine. They were playing and it it tipped into, you're pissing me off. And they didn't honor the squealing, like that hurt. Exactly. They they were really tussling. They never hurt each other. They were very young puppies, although puppies have very sharp teeth. And we did redirect... And it got to the point where sometimes we would have to physically pick them up because they were so small yes. and they were puppies and take them into another room and let that adrenaline and cortisol calm down. Um, physically, you know, not punishment, like you said. It's just that basically it a, a friendly timeout. Annie, we've run out of time, but I think it's really important for people to understand not to get a dog for your dog. And if you do want more dog or dogs, do it thoughtfully and respect the opinions of the dogs themselves, particularly the residents. Annie Phoenix, your book, Positive Training for Aggressive and Reactive Dogs, is so good. And I really appreciate you being here to help everybody avoid those situations. Thanks for having me. I I love our conversations. 
I hope you enjoyed the show. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, No Hide, and the hybrid dry food, Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaraner or Maisie will eat. The show is also brought to you in part by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients to gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. My dogs love it every single day. 